Welcome back to the Martial Arts Mania Podcast. I'm AJ. And I'm Gavin. Oh, <laughs> just I know. Just well, normal this week. Just normal. Okay. That's good. Uh, welcome back. Uh, right out the gate, apologies to our listeners on Apple Podcasts. For some reason, the last episode took over 24 hours. Uh, it's happened one time before where it took like an extra five hours to get posted. This time it took like 30. And they say on uh, the website, they're like, oh, it could take up to 24 hours. Uh, yeah, that was more than 24, Apple. So what the heck? It must have been all the controversial comfort kung fu cinema Mm-hmm. knowledge that was dropped mm-hmm. yep yep that's what it is you know they're out to get us they're, they're, try, they're trying to stop the knowledge of roadhouse getting out there dog they're like you know what you can't glorify roadhouse because we're trying to remake it right now <laughs> and you know what a lot of people are upset i'm not i'm going in with open arms and uh, open mind and hoping you know what i hope it's good i like jake gyllenhaal he can be very he he can devote himself 100% to a role, both physically and uh, spiritually, in a sense. I mean, we saw that with Southpaw, right? That was the boxing one he did. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, uh, you know what? As long as they make it in the like old school style, why not? Why not have a banger of a movie? Uh, so, I'm I'm not getting upset. I'm just hoping for the best. But you, you, uh, go ahead. At the at the end of the day, it, it, it's probably going to be good. Will yeah. it turn out to be the most streamed? played movie across every every cable network ever probably not it well, can't wait chase. do do each one of my views count yes then yes it will yeah. okay done done <laughs> so how are you today my friend i'm doing well it's been a it's been a busy week and really happy to sit down here and get a chance to record and talk about some martial arts films nice nice well actually today we're just going to be talking about one film uh very topical and it was a last second turn of events uh as you will figure out why but uh first off right out the gate uh do we have any martial arts movie news this week not really on my end how about you breaking news I've got nothing as well. Yeah. <laughs> well, so I know that I think it was uh, Eureka Films dropped the trailer for their release of Yes, Madam, which looks amazing. And the cool part is the trailer has the original English dub. Now, I've actually never seen the original English dub of Yes, Madam, because my DVD copy, I had a Tai Seng DVD that I got in Chinatown, San Francisco around like 2000, uh, just had the Cantonese and Mandarin dub. So that's one of those ones I've only watched uh, in the Chinese uh, audio, but I'm excited to have the old school English dub because as I mentioned, as long as it's the old school one, you know, you recognize most of those actors. There was kind of a style to it. So I'm pumped for that. I'm pumped just for a a re-release of it. Uh, I'm sure there'll be some great behind the scenes footage. Uh, Aside from that, uh, not really necessarily martial arts movie news, but it was officially announced that Hugh Jackman will be reprising Mm -hmm. his role of Wolverine in the new Deadpool movie. And so, obviously, uh, spoiler alert, if you haven't seen Logan, Wolverine died at the end of that movie, but that movie is set farther in the future. So it makes sense that potentially he could be in this Deadpool movie. Uh, and with the like the last movie, how time travel worked and stuff, uh, who knows? Maybe they can reprise the character. But I think it's cool uh, to have Ryan Reynolds and Hugh Jackman playing both of their iconic characters 
together, not just count cameoing, you know, in the same film. So uh, that's big news. Uh, aside from that, nothing really new to report. Uh, last night was the second one championship event on Prime, uh, which I've watched a few of the fights this morning. I couldn't uh, watch it last night because I had training. But uh, so far, so good. And I love it. I love one championship. And I love that it's on Prime and it's included with Prime. It's not a pay-per-view thing. So that's awesome. Next Saturday, we will have a Glory event. Uh, and I love Glory kickboxing. So uh, once again, it's on Saturday mornings when I'm usually training. But uh, maybe I'll be back in time uh, to watch it because that one is a pay-per-view. But aside from that, nothing really new uh, martial arts movie news-wise. Uh, did you have a quote this week? I do have a quote, um, but I think I'm about to mix it up, but I think it's somewhat topical, so I'm going to give it a shot. So do you have the easy quote and the not easy quote? That is the question. Are are you ready? I'm ready. This, This is presumably the easy quote. Got it. Ah, dang it. (laughs) Pregnant pause. I'm about to explode. <laughs> that, that would be... Uh, uh, or is it, is say, that the line or is it, I'm the bomb? Uh, I think he says both. But okay, he, uh, Gavin is referring to the first episode of season two of Martial Law, Sam Blamo. Now, I am a massive Martial Law fan. We've talked about this. Do I know it like the back of my hand like you'd think from knowing the exact episode and where it fell in the season? No, but that just happens to be one of the best episodes of... Uh, uh, the two seasons, incredible it, it, action. It's kind of like, it's like the movie Speed, but instead of a bus, it's just Samo who has a bomb attached to him and he has to keep moving constantly. Otherwise it'll explode. So similar concept, great setup. Uh, and yeah. Okay. So that's it's, the it's, easy yeah, It's a one. fantastic film. Pardon. I, I, you know, I, I do a lot of voices. I was trying to do Samo there. Uh, anyway, it was okay. It was okay. Sorry, was everybody. Right. I'm adjusting my mic real quick. Okay. You're going to hear some stuff. Okay. Here's the second one. This movie is not a straight martial art film, but there is martial arts in it by one of our favorite uh, actors. Are you ready? I'm ready. Kohai? Hmm. Mm -hmm. Say it again. I'll say it without the accent. Kohai. No, say it with the accent. That was... Yeah. Kohai? It's not is Jim that, Stewart. Is that Sean Connery? <laughs> yes. Okay. It's Sean Connery. I was like, it, it, I could see Jimmy Stewart, but I got you were saying Sean Connery. Uh, Highlander? No. Oh, uh, Rising Sun. Or, there you go. There we go. Okay. I, I was like, you know, if it's going to be martial arts themed. Uh, okay, cool. There you go. Yeah. Good oh, job. Thanks, man. Uh, definitely need to rewatch that one. That would, you know what? That would be a great one to do. And that would finally satisfy my friend Shane's. Uh, uh, incessive need to have us do a Wesley Snipes episode. He's been begging us to do Passenger 57. Mm-hmm. It's more so just trying to find a copy of Passenger 57. Uh, I mean, not that it's difficult. I just need to order it on DVD because I don't have a VCR anymore and I can't play my VHS copy. But I think uh, Rising Sun would be a great one to do and I haven't watched that in years. Uh, it, it so maybe years. we'll do that one sooner rather than later. Sounds good to me. Okay, so uh, that was our quote. So let's get in uh, to what we're talking about today. Uh, today, we are talking about the 
2000, the year 2000, uh, so funny to think, 22 years ago, holy crap. The year 2000, martial arts action film, China Strike Force, directed by the one and only Stanley Tong, who is behind some of our favorite martial arts movies and projects, including Jackie Chan's uh, Super Cop, Rumble in the Bronx, and obviously the one of the showrunners for Martial Law. Uh, he obviously handled the action with uh, Aylan Sit, right, uh, who is also on Martial Law. It stars an ensemble cast with our two main protagonists, played by Aaron Kwok, one of the four heavenly kings of Canto Pop, meaning he was just one, still to this day one of the biggest singers uh, from Hong Kong and in the 80s was one of the four heavenly kings, uh, a group of very famous Canto Pop singers. But he's also sang Mando Pop, but he's also been acting like the rest of them, like Andy Lau and so forth since the 80s uh and he also had done a decent amount of action slash martial arts pictures before this including obviously the barefooted kid storm rider so his uh experience in martial arts definitely pays off in this film his uh co-star is lee home wang uh, or lee home wang uh and Taiwanese American uh, Mando pop superstar. So once again, a huge singer in Asia. Uh, he was quite young at this point, like 24 years old. So he's a very famous singer. Not uh, obviously, maybe not as well known for acting, but does a great job in this movie and does a uh, really good job with the martial arts, having not been a martial artist by trade. Uh, we have so many supporting actors, but our main villain is played by Mark Dacascos, the one and only fantastic. And it's so funny. It, he, he looks almost the exact same as he does in this movie. Like right now, his, and his martial arts abilities. Uh, wow. And then the main reason we decided to do this film is the fact that the co-villain is played by the now late, great Coolio. So a lot of people don't know. Coolio obviously did some acting over the years, but they don't know that he co-starred in a Hong Kong martial arts action film shot in mainland China. Uh, and he's very endearing in the role. Uh, yes, over the top for sure, but that's very standard and commonplace within Hong Kong cinema. But uh, this film is unique in the fact that it was filmed in both Cantonese and English at the same time. Mm -hmm. So obviously the version we watch is the English version where uh, the cast is either speaking English or some of the principal cast that's speaking English is actually dubbed, I think, simply because they wanted to kind of keep with the coherency of our other supporting actors, our other leading actors, you know, who spoke English with a non-accented uh, or speak non-accented English, sort of. So, for example, Lee Hong Wang, having been born in America, speaks perfect you know, non-accident English, whereas Aaron Kwok, you can tell, is dubbed. He's mouthing the English, but he's dubbed. Same thing with Paul Chang. But then some of the supporting actors that don't really matter as much, like Ken Lowe, is not dubbed when he speaks English, even though he doesn't really necessarily speak a whole lot of English. Uh, but I digress slightly. So yes, Coolio obviously uh, is not dubbed. Uh, and we decided since Coolio just passed away this week, uh, unexpectedly at the age of 59, why not talk about this great film? And it's interesting. It's like, I feel like you either love or hate this film. Uh, I feel it definitely stands the test of time, even though it is 100% a product of its era. But it's also a forgotten one, in a sense. One that kind of has slipped through the cracks, if you will. Uh, and maybe only even hardcore fans are aware of it, simply because it came out at a very interesting time, so around like 2000, where Hong Kong cinema was already starting to dwindle, you know, and mainland China was uh, becoming like one of the main markets that 
you know, they were hoping to capitalize on. Uh, a lot of the biggest superstars from Hong Kong at that time had already segued over to the West mm-hmm. after the initial handover in 97. So Jackie Chan was at like the prime of his uh, American run, as was Jet Li, as was Chow Yun-Fat, as was Michelle Yeoh. Now keep in mind, yes, uh, they were all going back and forth Maybe not even Jet Li as much, but they were going back and forth, but predominantly making Western productions. Uh, And a lot of the directors, too. John Woo at this time was in America. I mean, Kirk Wong had gone over to America. Stanley Tong had gone over to America. Uh, And so I feel like that's why this one kind of slipped through the cracks. It obviously didn't get a theatrical release in America, but it did get a big DVD release because I Mm -hmm. that's the version I watched is I still have my original DVD I bought in 2000 or 2001 when it came out here at Best Buy. Uh, and so I feel like a lot of people maybe aren't even aware the film exists. Uh, and it's kind of a love it or hate it. Even when I go and read reviews online, people are like, oh, it's so hokey. It's so cheesy. It's blah, blah. But I completely disagree. I feel like it's a fantastically shot film and made. Yes, there's, there's some elements that, you know, are definitely a product of its time, but I still think it's a solid action picture. It's got some phenomenal fight sequences and some insane stunt work. Uh, And right out the gate, we'll address that. Obviously, there's a decent amount of wire work in it, but it's wire work that's used to accentuate the action, not make up for a lack of abilities. So even when they're doing some of the crazier, unbelievable stuff, like even in the finale when uh, Liam Wang is like literally kicking Aaron Kwok up into the air so he can spin and flip and kick, it's at least done so incredibly that you're like, all right, yeah, it's totally unrealistic, but wow, that's that's old school wire work at its best. And because it doesn't completely dominate the fight scenes, I'm cool with it. That's the kind of stuff I wish, for example, Shang-Chi would have used more over CG. Uh, so yeah, that's, that's kind of my opening spiel about the film. Uh, when was the first time you saw this movie? You know, I saw it shortly, shortly after my run on martial law, because okay. I was I was interested interested to see what what Stanley Tong was doing next. I had you know obviously worked on martial law and had the opportunity to be on set for one of the episodes that he was directing. Uh, Shogun, I wrote it down here. What was it? Oh, the Shogun for Hire. So I was on. That was one of his episodes in season two. That he and for directed. people that don't know, you not only worked on that episode, you were actually the Japanese advisor, right? Uh, that that's essentially how I got the got the gig. I, I when I first called in f- to see if they needed any help or if there were any openings, they said we have an opening for one one week at the most. We need someone to help us move our computers from our old set to our new 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 headquarters set and i said sure and i was took a took a lunch uh in the lunchroom with two writers who were writing the episode that was heavily steeped in yakuza folk uh yakuza lore and i was sitting there and i started uh, just kind of interjected they asked me some questions and uh the unit production manager, Herb Edelman, one of the best bosses I've ever had. And that's saying a lot because I've had some great bosses along the way. Uh, encouraged me to talk to the writers as much as possible. And then after he saw how they interacted with me, asked if I wanted to stay on the show. And of course, I was like, yes, please. So they got they, they sent me out to the set for, for this episode. So I got to interact with Stanley Tong, which was a fantastic experience for me. Uh, but... Uh, the question was, when did I first see it? I think I saw probably somewhere around 
2001, 2002, so shortly shortly after the show wrapped, which I believe wrapped in 2000. Uh, the, the, the dates get a little blurry for me because when I was working in that industry, it's like one show to the next show to the, and they all kind of blend together. But uh, uh, yeah, that's, that's when I watched it. Yeah, uh, and, and that would make sense because it came out in December of 2000 in Hong Kong, according to uh, Wikipedia, mm-hmm. which means, and I remember it came out relatively around the same time here, so probably on DVD and either at that same time or 2001. And once again, I didn't double check some of these numbers. Usually on Wikipedia, they have pretty accurate numbers in terms of box office. It grossed Hong Kong 20 million, which for the year 2000, I'm not sure, but back in the 80s, that's typically, that would be a huge uh, like Jackie Chan movie would gross anywhere from 20 and I think maybe the, the record was like 28 or something just in Hong Kong. So I'd imagine that was still a decent size okay hit within Hong Kong for that time. Mm-hmm. Uh, so obviously it had some traction, but yeah, I remember, it's so funny, I'm trying to think back what the original website I used to go to for like Kung Fu movie news. I forget what it's called because it's now defunct. I remember like 10 years ago they took it down. It was Kung Fu something. Uh and I don't remember, but that's most likely where I saw the news about it getting released on DVD and uh, picking it up at Best Buy. And I remember watching it and just loving it right out the gate. Uh, yeah, we have our protagonists aren't necessarily martial artists by trade, but it just goes to show what good performers they are, especially Aaron Kwok, who you wouldn't know is not a martial mm-hmm. artist by this point. And that probably has to do with his physicality. You know, he came in a good shape. Uh, his experience having already done a handful of martial arts based films. Uh, he's also uh, a dancer having been the Canto popster. I know he was known for his dancing. So he has that rhythm and physical ability and under the direction of Stanley Tong, you're getting that world-class treatment. And it's kind of like how we talked about with Sammo, how he can make people look their best. Stanley mm-hmm. Kwong, I feel like had an equivalent ability because I mean, even when watching other cast members like uh, Norika Fujiwara, who, wow. as far as I know, was not a martial artist by trade. And yes, she was probably doubled for some of it, but otherwise, man, you would think she was a martial artist. She throws Absolutely. power. You, you were talking about the wire work. The wire work they used with her was just absolutely impeccable it wasn't if, if you're aware of that uh what's the seagal movie where he's uh, exit wounds exit wounds where he does some wire work it just kind of looks a little ridiculous yeah and I, I think seagal even like wasn't happy with that when you watch the wire work with noriko it is phenomenal particularly where she's jumping down from one level in the mall to the next level yeah uh, you know the it's just absolutely Pure perfection. That's how wire work is supposed to work in a contemporary setting. Agreed. Now, is it Norika or Norika? Uh, let me. According check. to Wikipedia, it says Norika, but that could be wrong. You are, you are correct. It oh, okay. is Norika Fujiwara. Okay, I'm just making sure that I wasn't getting it wrong. Uh, no, no, you're because I, you know our viewers, our viewers, our listeners don't realize I'm looking to the side for our, my new microphone setup, so my my notes are to the left, and it's hard for me to like periphery. No worries. So, no, no, obviously, Norika is a uh, surname because yeah, so in, Fuji, yeah, Fujiwara. For people that don't know, in Asian uh, languages, the surname comes first, so the last name comes first, uh, which is a lot of times when when it comes to actors' English names, they'll get all. Mixed, oops, sorry, that was my phone. Uh, it'll get all mixed up, and uh, so for example, like you know, Jackie Chan. Uh, well, Chan's not even his. Uh, 
Great example. Like his real last name. So <laughs> it's like because uh, in Mandarin, he's Changlong. So it's like dragon Chung, Chung. Uh, and then Singlong in Cantonese, right? Already a dragon. But still, uh, okay, like Jet Li. Li in his Chinese, his Mandarin name, Li Lian uh, So Li comes first, right? So uh, obviously her that's her surname. So hence why you wouldn't necessarily be able to distinguish between masculine and feminine because it's the family name. So, uh, yes, yes. Yeah, so, uh, hi, hi. So, you know, the one thing that that really caught me, I, I remember wanting to grab this film because I loved the poster and I wanted to like see what Stanley Todd was doing next. I was going to maybe try to. I had he and the other producer of this movie was Andre Morgan. I was like thinking, well, maybe should I like submit my resume to them to see if I can work on what what's after this with them, and. So I was looking over Stanley Tong's filmography, and in many ways, this is at this is kind of the pinnacle piece that he's done. Although he has greater films, mm-hmm. when it comes to artistically speaking, he's doing this without Jackie Chan, without Sammo Hung. This is his piece. This is his film, and it looks fantastic. And then after two thousand, he does one more film, two thousand five. And then he takes like a, what, a nine year hiatus after that. So he just takes a lot of directing hiatuses after this film. So I always wondered what was it about this experience that caused him to take a break from directing? Not, I mean, he producing wise, he was highly involved still stunt wise. Yeah. Now, Stanley Tong is an interesting one because, you know, he speaks pretty good English. He's done interviews now and it goes back and forth, even like the Wikipedia page or online information. I remember originally reading that he was born in Shanghai. But now his Wikipedia as of this morning says born and raised in Hong Kong. Mm -hmm. That being said, I'm pretty sure around this time, I think he actually opened up like a stunt school. And I think that was his focus for a while. I could be Mm -hmm. totally off. But I remember reading something about that. I feel like he was training like future generations of filmmakers and stunt uh, players. So maybe that's why. Because when uh because he came back and directed kung fu yoga with jackie Mm -hmm. chan right which was probably around that time 2017 yeah so there we go and i actually remember liking kung fu yoga there was a ton to not like about that movie too but it had some of those those glimpses of the work of the past of jackie and stanley together Mm -hmm. uh it's funny because for me you were talking about how john woo and others had already kind of transitioned over to the west at that point and it seemed like stanley wanted to give back and so he transitioned back to china it was starting these organizations trying to help up-and-coming filmmakers but as i watch this film and particularly the action sequences i'm thinking it's really a shame and we discussed this before wouldn't it have have been great to see jackie chan in a mission impossible film with tom cruise i would have loved to have seen stanley tong at the helm of a mission impossible film that would have been cool like uh yeah yeah, 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 yeah. You know, I just why not Stanley sh- Tong directing a James Bond film? <laughs> but <laughs> see, we've that. also seen what happens when he tries to step into an already uh, established franchise in a sense, like Mr. Magoo, right? So sometimes he's like one of those people I feel like needs complete creative control. And if you're already trying to step into something that's already been established, already has a format, already has like a mm-hmm. superstar, you know. In it, it maybe it wouldn't have worked out, but it's always a fun hypothetical, a fun thought piece. And of course, if you want 
Stanley talking to do a James Bond film, you could just watch Jackie Chan's First Strike, a.k.a. Police Story 4. Yes, a.k.a. Jackie Chan's First Strike. (laughs) Yes. Uh, Anywho, uh, so not just Jackie Chan's First Strike. It was actually released in America as the title was Jackie Chan's First Strike. Trying to capitalize on that hot Jackie Chan action. So yeah, uh, going into the movie, uh, it starts off with a great opening action sequence, which is our two main protagonists. They are Shanghai cops who are in a training session. Uh, So right out the gate, the interesting part is the film is shot in China, mainland China, Shanghai. So at that time, that was definitely still not necessarily standard place. But from what I read, Stanley Tong wanted to shoot the film somewhere cheaper, which that makes total sense. Because uh, even to this day, mainland China is way cheap. It's nearly impossible to shoot a movie in Hong Kong nowadays. It's got to be a massive one like Donnie Yen's Raging Fire, which, by the way, two episodes ago, I realized I called Breathing Fire. So uh, my apologies. Yeah, neither of us caught it, that. It's, I was re-listening it, to it. I was like, ooh, I said Breathing Fire. Also a great film. But <laughs> Also a great film, yes. And so this film, it's interesting because it's shot in Shanghai. Yeah, it has some uh, well-known spots like the Bun, uh, the Waitan. Uh, but uh, it also is interesting because... First of all, it's super nostalgic for me. Do I necessarily recognize anywhere they are? No, but I lived in Shanghai for over three years and I, and I worked and went to school in what I call like local neighborhoods that look just like the city streets and stuff, you know? Uh, and obviously the architecture of Shanghai has changed a lot uh, in the last 20 something years, so much more now, uh, so many more advances, but it's still really cool to kind of see this other scenery that was different from the films of that time. Uh, also it's funny, like it's definitely mainland China cause you can see the pollution in the air throughout the whole movie. Uh, and so yeah, our two main Shanghai cops. Uh, and so it starts off with a training sequence with them, which they ended up failing uh and their uh, leader is played by jackson lao who you may remember from fist of legend and a couple of other great uh hong kong films but uh anywho so pretty much uh the two are played by aaron kwok and lee hong wong and lee hong wong's uh girlfriend is played by ruby lin who is also named ruby lin a Th- another taiwanese singer she's a fashion uh designer and so forth and her dad happens to be a sheriff i love how they use the word sheriff but that'd be kind of like the police captain of a smaller uh uh, municipality but uh played by uh paul chun uh who you may also remember from fist of legend as uncle no but uh then we have our antagonist. So we have like a crime family that's led by Mr. Uncle Ma, played by Lao Siu Ming. Uh, his, I think, nephew is, uh, is supposed to be nephew, uh, played by Mark Dacascos. That's Tony Lao. And he is wanting to move into the future. He wants to start drug smuggling. But uh, Uncle Ma is very much big on sticking to what's worked, counterfeiting, so forth, so forth, does not want to get involved in the drug business. But uh, Tony Lao, played by Mark Tacoscos once again, and his friend from America, Coolio, played by Coolio, are hoping to bring the drug business to China. So there's kind of this inner conflict going with, on within the crime family. And pretty much the police get involved because at a fashion show they're all attending, uh, one of Uncle Ma's men is assassinated uh, by uh, a hitman, played by Kim Won Jin, who most people remember from The Scorpion King, the Hong Kong movie. He's a beloved... Uh, martial artist uh, amongst hardcore fans. Uh, He's known as one of the greatest kickers, even though he didn't have the most prolific career in terms of his filmography. He is one of the most amazing kickers to ever 
grace the screen and he does that kind of stuff not necessarily in this movie he still he has one great action sequence but other films like scorpion king you he does stuff that you're like oh it's got to be wires and you're like nope that's not wires Mm -hmm. he's just that incredible an amazing taekwondo practitioner so pretty much there's uh, an assassination and that's how our cops get involved and the investigation begins uh and so once again we get a opening action sequence but then we also get a great uh chase action sequence at the runway show between aaron kwok and uh uh, Kim Won-jin. Now, obviously, there's some, even within the chase scenes and the car sequences, because we get a couple great car sequences throughout, there's like some hokey wire work where like he rides his motorcycle up the back of a uh, van, which is just physically impossible, obviously. But, you know, it's it, it's part of the style of that era, right? Like the the crazy, unbelievable stunts defying gravity. And, you know, as a fan, you just go with it to the uh, maybe new viewer. They might look at it as kind of cheesy and hokey and laughable. And yeah, it can be. But, you know, it's like you got to suspend, you know, uh, your disbelief, right? You've got to just go with the flow and watching these movies. So once again, that's kind of the catalyst for the events of the film. Obviously there's that inner turmoil in the crime family. And eventually spoiler alert, Mark DeCosta's character has his uncle uh, killed and him and Coolio take over. And uh, yeah, so we have great action throughout, but really let's talk about Coolio. Now Coolio people nowadays may not remember how huge Gangster's Paradise was in 1995. For me, very significant. I'm eight years old. That's a time where like pop culture, music, film, television, it's very prolific. You know, it's kind of, it's a time where things can shape you. And I had the 1996 Grammy Award CD, which, you know, is like a compilation of like 12 songs they'll pick that were nominated. And obviously that one was on there. And that CD I played on repeat like a million times. So Gangster's Paradise is one of those songs that I know by heart, every word. And I hear it multiple times a week at work because we listen to Jack FM a lot, a great iHeartRadio station. But uh, (laughs) so it's just, it was like part of the zeitgeist at that time. It was ginormous. It was like culturally huge. And then Weird Al spoofed it with Amish Paradise, which was huge, right? And so it was just everywhere. And Coolio was everywhere for a hot minute. And then kind of just fizzled away. I mean, he was still doing stuff. He, I mean, he did the theme for Keenan and Kel, which was a sitcom show for kids my age, right? Uh, he did, he was on All That a lot, which was once again, like a kid version of Saturday Night Live, which was huge for me. That was like my era, right? I was like eight, 10 years old, like around that time. So, I mean, Coolio was still around, right? And then this was just one of those weird side projects he did. And throughout the film that we get to hear a lot of his music, I actually downloaded one of the songs because I think it's awesome that girls, girls, we love girls. It was like playing at the fashion show. And I'm like, oh, yeah, I'm going to download this. But uh, throughout the film, I find him to be, as I mentioned before, very endearing, very charming. I mean, first of all, his character is super racist. He's racist towards everyone, especially towards Italians, even though there's like, I was like, yo, brother, take it easy. But uh, he like he's racist towards Italians. He's racist towards Hispanics. He's racist towards the French. He calls them the frogs, right? Like He's racist towards the Chinese. And then it's funny because Mark Dacascos will like equally shoot something back at him and like put him in his place. But uh, he also has some great one-liners. I meant to write them down, but... But, uh, you know, I broke up the viewing of the movie this morning. Uh, but like at the beginning, like his assassin's like, I want my bread. And then like he wants his money. He's like, you want bread? And then he just shoots him. He says, go see a baker. 
It's like little things like that are like, patience, Tony, cuz doctors have patience. Like he just, I mean, they're so like corny, but awesome. Like it just makes me like laugh. Right. Uh, in the hands of his, these lines in the hands of anybody else of, of maybe his stature when it comes to acting would not have come across. He delivers the lines and very, he has great on screen charisma, which is wonderful because he's paired with Mark Dacascos, who also has great on screen charisma. It's, there's, there isn't a moment where they're together that you don't want to watch. Except for sometimes the cringy racial elements that take place because it's almost pointless. But at the same time, it's them trying to have fun uh, and the script trying to have fun. So it, it works. But his lines and he just like pelt, you know, kind of shoots them out, drops them, doesn't make a big deal out of them, just drops these great one liners one after the other, one after the other. It's Which actually kind of fantastic. Makes sense as a rapper, right? As, you know, typically rappers have freestyle abilities, have like battling abilities. So who knows how much of this was just drop of the hat, like boom, he just thought, man, it'd be funny maybe if I said this. And it's like, oh yeah, nice. Because who I knows? Mean, I don't know enough necessarily about his rap career where maybe maybe he had street cred as being like a rap battle guy that was able to burn other people. And I you, really wish there was a few more great lines I didn't write down, uh, like some just funny insults and stuff. You're like, damn, dude. But my, the the beginning one though, the <laughs> call a baker. I'm like that's a, it's it shouldn't even be funny. But once again, his delivery and once again, his name's Coolio. It's like he's playing a kind of a fictionalized version of himself, and maybe that's why it works so well as opposed to mm-hmm. sort of like a Dennis Rodman performance in Double Team. Now I still love Double Team, and I still love Dennis Rodman in that movie. But no one's gonna say it's a great performance. I feel like you're gonna watch Coolio in this film and either love him or hate him, and you're gonna hate him if you're going in like mm, yes, I'm expecting everyone to give you know a proper theatrical performance but you know if you go in just like oh it's just coolio having fun and being coolio i think it's great i think it's 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 natural in a sense right even though someone may look at it as oh hokey and unnatural i disagree i think it's just him having fun and being this like wacky drug dealing character from uh, you know, South Central, that's just, he's, he's so over the top in everything, like his body language too. He does like, you know, funny walks and little dances and stuff. And, uh, I mean, his, uh, wardrobe too is great i mean i don't know if that was the costume designer on set or if he brought some of that i mean like he has this classic hat that you know his cornrows always pop at the top that was like a real life coolio thing right that's what i'm saying it's it's he brought a lot of real life elements to the role uh and then you know i'm not sure obviously he was doubled a lot in the finale but out of nowhere in the finale his character is an expert martial artist as well and he's obviously being doubled for a ton of the kicks and like kip ups and stuff but even on the shots where you see him throw his moves he he does it with conviction like some kung fu looking stuff uh and then the finale itself which we'll get to here in a second has some absolutely insane stunt work where you're watching it and like uh how'd they do that and like wait a minute that's not a double. That's one of our leading actors on wires. Like how many stories up in the air? Like, I mean, those are like skyscrapers. I, I know. I, I, before we, before we jump into that, I, the one thing I would say about like Coolio's acting mm-hmm. and hit, you know, because I've been, we've seen films where there is an American on the set of a foreign film and sometimes it doesn't click. Sometimes they're, you know, they're just present and doing the bare minimum, not putting their their own fingerprint on it. They're just a, a presence. You 
like Richard Norton did not do that. You know, Richard Norton, you remember him for his roles in Hong Kong. Uh, there, there are a lot of good examples of people, foreign, foreign actors or guaylos or Westerners in Hong Kong films or chi- films based in China that are absolutely not memorable. What Coolio does is he actually puts in a performance that is, I'm not going to say on par with Richard Norton because we're going to remember Richard Norton's roles, you know, in, in the Lucky Stars films, uh, the Lucky Star film. Uh, but Coolio, it's like he went there and he realized that there was, and again, I'm just guessing here, that he had some free artistic ra- uh, reign uh, and he took it to the limits. He didn't just show up with the, with with his presence. He actually showed up with a bag of tricks, and he contributed to the film. And that's what's that's what makes this scene so enjoyable, uh, compared to so many other films where you, you kind of forget that someone so and so was in it. Mm-hmm. And so, the thing is, this wasn't Coolio's first foray into acting either. He actually was in a bunch of stuff, uh, you know, like some wacky, goofy comedies. I mean, and he was like he had little parts on sketches on all that, like the Good Burger sketch. Uh, mm-hmm. I remember he had a cameo in a, a comedy I really liked from the early 2000s, Get Over It. But he actually mm-hmm. also had a more serious role in the Daredevil movie that was actually cut out. And so I remember seeing the behind the scenes stuff. And so, I mean... He he had charisma totally. I mean, when you're the biggest rap star on the planet for a hot minute, you know you're gonna have some charisma. Otherwise, you weren't able to get there. So, uh, but yeah, the rest of our cast also outside of Coolio are all really good. Aaron Kwok is great. I mean, yeah, he's dubbed, uh, which makes a little off-putting, but you know it's fine. You get used to it pretty fast because they do a super good job of syncing up the sound with his mouth. Because once again, he's speaking like the English and he's just dubbed over. So somehow it works. And even like kind of the popping that happens a little bit in between where like, for example, he's dubbed and then Lee Ho Wong is not dubbed and like speaking just, you know, the sync sound. Uh, once again, they do, a, they do a pretty darn good job with that. Now, some of the actors that they chose to keep speaking English, it actually makes it a little difficult. I mean, you know, Narika Fujiwara, her accent is very heavy. So sometimes you actually struggle to understand what she's saying. Uh, and it comes off as kind of unnatural because of mostly because of the like sentence structure wise and grammatically, it's all very correct. But because the accent's so heavy, it's almost kind of unnatural uh, mm-hmm. in a sense. And even, uh, you know, Uncle Ma, uh, his Chinese accent is so heavy that it's like really hard to understand him sometimes. But once again, little slight little complaints that you know don't hinder you from enjoying the film but we get some great action sequences throughout as we had already mentioned some very hard-hitting fight sequences uh they where they can i mean they're padded up and yeah in the finale there's a little bit of obvious padding on mark dacascus and aaron mm-hmm. kwok that comes off as it, you you easily see it when it happens and even the untrained eye in a sense could totally notice it but in return, we also get some very hard-hitting action where, you know, they're delivering strong-ass sidekicks, punches to the sternum and stuff where they go all in. As I said, when we do get to see uh, uh, Norika, like, throw down, she's, like, kicking and punching hard, really delivering. Like, she does it with conviction, a very natural performer. Uh, Ken Lowe gets to throw down a little bit. And him and Mark Dacascos actually have a fantastic Muay Thai sequence in a ring where they're, like, training Thank together, you. like... Uh, 
you know, and Mark Dacascos is getting out his anger in a sense. And that is a very underrated sequence. That right there is, an, I mean, once again, this is a big statement, is kind of like one of the one of the best Muay Thai sequences I've ever seen shot in a Hong Kong style. I think that's entirely fair. Yeah. Uh, it's very, it's I, short, it's not super long, but yeah. The thing that uh, stands out about Mark Dacascos and his work with Stanley Tong is, of course, this film. And then the one of my favorite fights on American television of all times is Mark Dacascos against Samuel Hung in somewhere in season two, I think, within yeah. the first five or six episodes. The name escapes me a little bit, so I apologize. But he is so adaptable. Uh we talked about him in Only the Strong. Only the Strong, Only the Brave. Only the Strong. Paranoi, paranoi, paranoi. I don't know. So the Only the Strong, he takes on the capoeira aspect. In, in martial law, he takes on a, some great kung fu fights, uh, fighting st- uh, styles and stances. And then, of course, in this, that display of kickboxing or Muay Thai style is just fantastic. It's like this guy can do... Mark Dacascos is is like the ultimate student who can display everything. Uh, it, I don't want to say perfectly, but it kind of feels like perfectly. Yeah. Uh, I mean, he, he's very adaptable. And I was thinking the same thing because his Muay Thai looks really good and they do clinch work and it looks really natural. It's not hokey. When you see a lot of times you may see a Muay Thai sequence on film and yeah, the kicks and punches look good. As soon as they go into like the clinch work, it's like, all right, this is really mm-hmm. hokey and cheesy. No, it looks good. It looks real. Uh, I mean, they're doing mostly kind of like body lock type clinch, which is, you know, you do that in Muay Thai sometimes, but it looks real. It looks natural. Uh, I mean, they're out of breath in like a realistic way and they're kicking and yeah, he's doing some flashier like spin kicks and stuff, but Jesus is he fast. And remember Ken Lowe was a free fighting, like kind of kickboxing champion in Hong Kong in the eighties from what I've gathered from like interviews of his. Now, some people be like, no, he was a Muay Thai champion in Thailand. Well, that's like internet rumors, but in the behind mm-hmm. the scenes footage of, uh, uh, my father is a hero or the enforcer I think was the English one and there's an interview with him where he talks about and from what I've gathered is he I mean technically from what I've gathered he's kind of like the equivalent of me like he had uh, he was an amateur uh, kickboxing champion in Hong Kong in the 80s uh, you know like uh and but still that's totally legit right and extremely uh, legitimate yeah and so you see them uh fighting against each other and it just goes to show how fast mark dacascos is because ken lowe is fast with good form and mark dacascos just makes him look like slow in a sense and And this is not necessarily and it's not that it's not like they're keeping ken lowe at regular speed and speeding up mark dacascos thank you so even if they say it doesn't look under cranked at all which is to speed up the what we see as an audience it 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 looks like accurate it looks like we're seeing the real speed of both of these uh, performers yeah so once again great fighting which is throughout we get to our finale which is at a setting uh, i forget what they call it but jesus it's beautiful uh, i'm not sure where that is probably not shanghai because the whole like second half of the movie is not set in shanghai it's set in another city but uh i think it was like they claim it's an old movie set uh but it's like this beautiful uh ancient chinese palace looking setting and this is where all of our uh main key players get to throw down uh we get some like plot twist somebody that was a good guy was actually a bad guy spoiler alert it's paul chun's character sheriff lynn uh <laughs> and uh unfortunately leon wong gets killed as is the sheriff so then it's down well, to aaron Kwok. Yeah. 
And uh, Noriko Fujiwara. They didn't telegraph that at all. No, not at all. Uh, And Noriko Fujiwara, who ends up with a Japanese DEA agent, we found out earlier in the film, uh, they team up to bring down Coolio and Mark Dacosco. So we start off with some great fight sequences in, uh, you know, the ancient city setting. And then it becomes an aerial sequence where uh, the helicopter is trying to take off with the car. Uh, filled with Coolio's money, which is kind of a plot hole because they were specifically talking about wire transferring the money like three scenes ago and they do the wire transfer over the phone and Coolio's like, I'm going to go to Switzerland and see my money in person. And then at the end of the film, it's Mark Dacosco's <laughs> handing him the money in person. So that makes no sense whatsoever. But they needed that to set up the A, Mark Dacosco's giving him the Lakers-themed car B, the money goes in the trunk of said car. C, the car is being carried away by a magnet and a helicopter, which D, sets up the finale. So as Coolio is escaping in the helicopter, our good guys jump onto the car, as does our bad guy, Mark Dacascos. And so the fight starts off. Once again, it's incredible the stuff they're shooting because you're watching it and being like, that's not CG because this was before CG became prevalent. There's not a single ounce of CG in that sequence. There's a no. lot of wire work, but there's literally no CG. Uh, I, also, I also read somewhere that Mark Dacascos in that scene was not wearing a safety harness. Well, some of it, it would have been impossible. Like you look at the angles and stuff and you're like, uh, and yes, I'm sure they use some camera tricks, but at other times you're like, wait a minute, you can see how high off the ground they are at that point. Yeah, they, like, they did not, they did not do the old chips jumping out of the airplane. Then you just see the close-ups of their face with like a fake background. Yeah, this no, not at was, all. It's like they're at like at, the, at some of the main points where you see those shots clearly, it's like, they're like 15 stories up. Uh, and then, for example, one of the stuntmen that falls off the car, like one of the last of the random henchmen to fall off, he does this face forward fall off the car. You know what I'm talking about? And I'm like, wait a minute. Where's his wire? Obviously, he has to be on a wire because a fall from that height. That We're not talking five or six stories. We're talking like hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of feet up in the air. Like, I'm like... <laughs> He would, he would die and he's like going face first. He would, and that's obviously why there has to be a wire holding him that way. I'm like, that person would die if that was real. But I'm like, where's the wire? Where is it? Like, how did they do this sequence? Does he have a parachute or something? The falls, the falls by the stuntmen in this film are absolutely phenomenal. And we're teased with one in the very early on sequence where, where the the assassin falls off the bridge. They do not cut away. And my stomach actually I don't know if you would say it dropped or it started to roll up into my throat while I'm watching that just from, I wasn't going to blink. I'm like, what are they going to cut? What are they going to cut? Now, and the same thing with the final sequence as well. It's just, when are they going to cut? Because they're, he can't be that far off the ground. Where's the wire? I don't the, see The it. bridge one, they do cut. Because it's yeah, right obvious, at the end. right at the yeah. end, because it's but obvious they just, they're using a wire, but it yeah. still looks really good. And then they cut it right at the right moment to almost make you think like, did he just jump that whole way? Well, the, the wire has to slow him up a little bit to make it seem as though the jump is further. But the optics of that sequence yeah. is just fantastic. So pretty much, once again, spoiler alert, Mark Dacascos gets killed as the car like hits the top of one of the, the little towers. Uh, and then it's just our, you know, two good guys left. Coolio up in the helicopter when the car crashes into a skyscraper that's under construction. When I say skyscraper, I mean skyscraper. Like, like what's the tallest building in the world? How many stories? Tall. Like, but how many stories would that be? Like the Sears Tower? Uh, I, I have no... I, I, I don't want to exaggerate numbers, but let's see. Okay. Uh, 
What's the tallest building? While he does that, I just want to say it's these sequences that made me think wouldn't it have been great to have Tong directing uh, Tom Cruise in one of the Mission Impossible films because of the work that he did in, in uh, I think, Dubai with the, you know, climbing on the outside of the building uh-huh. at one point. I mean, it's just visually Stanley Tong knows how to just capture the whole severity or gravity of the stunts. Okay, so the Empire State Building is 102 stories. I have a feeling that this skyscraper is, I don't know, what, like 75 maybe? Do you think that's accurate? I, I think that's fair. It's it's. Let's just put it this way. It's significant. Yeah, so the car crashes into the building. The helicopter's stuck above. Uh, and then her protagonists fall off the car onto a plane of glass that's being held up on like, you know, a crane and then Coolio jumps out of the helicopter right before it explodes. And then he ends up on the glass. So the finale is our two good guys fighting Coolio on a plane of glass. That's unbalanced, obviously, because it's just being held by two wires. So for example, if all three of them are on one side, this thing's going to tilt completely and they're all going to fall off. So as they're fighting, they have to balance. And then like, for example, Coolio, you know, kicks the uh, Norika at one point and she slides to one side and is hanging on, which once again, the camera shows her hanging in the air and I'm looking for the camera trick and I'm like, there is no camera trick. Obviously, she's got to be on a harness of some sort, but she's hanging from a plane of glass at the top of this skyscraper and you get a full visual shot where you see the entire background. That is not a fake background. That is not CG. It is literally like she's doing this stunt herself. And then same thing as the camera films, all three of these actors, they're they're. I'm assuming there's some sort of safety net below them. Uh, but even still, it's an incredible piece of stunt work being done. Obviously, there's some stunt doubling, I'm sure, but also predominantly a lot of it is done by our actors and it's just it's like nerve-wracking you're watching this it's either you're gonna be like it's nerve-wracking or you're just you're it's hard to believe it's real but it's obviously they're doing it it, it the way stanley tong uh, just orchestrates edits shoots these sequences is absolutely phenomenal uh and and it's it's like you're watching a magician at work and you're like i know it there's a trick in here somewhere. I can't see it. I really can't see it. And I, 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 the one episode that he shot for martial law, there were some folks who were going to, you know, some assassins who were going to jump off the side of a building. We're on the roof of the building. The guys are actually repelling down the building. And I'm afraid just to get up to the edge to look over, let alone be a part of the stunt. It he had the he he literally had three or four i think there were three assassins run towards the edge of this of the of the i forget what hotel was called back then to the edge of the hotel and jump off <laughs> that's why and, you're not a man gavin yeah that's exactly i wasn't gonna do it but it's just the way the way he shoots these sequences like he way he shot that and that was maybe a 40 story building maybe 30 story building to see it done at the highest scale at this level i have no idea yeah i i I, I wanted i I wish we had been there to see how it was done because there has to be a trick involved but at the same time i don't see it and it feels very real yeah so we get a great finale obviously coolio falls to his death i was watching with jessica she's like oh coolio's dead and i'm like yeah sadly Uh enough yeah (laughs) and then uh uh, our two protagonists win the end happy ending we get like our usual like you know stunt bloopers during the credits but yeah that's that's pretty much 
the movie in a nutshell. It's a great watch. Uh, I Once again, I have a DVD copy of it. It's floated around on streaming services before. Uh, it's definitely been on Prime in the past. I know it was on Netflix years ago. You watched it on the Brown Sugar app. The Brown Sugar app uh, through Amazon Prime. You can get a free trial for seven days or you can rent it on Prime for five ninety nine. Yeah. I opted for the, the Brown Sugar app. Yeah, you know what? I've actually thought about the Brown Sugar app because it's got a lot of great exploitation films on there and some great martial arts ones. A lot of times there's double crossovers. But uh, yeah, any closing thoughts on the film? I just, I think when I first watched it, it was on a small television screen uh, on a DVD or VHS tape. I forget how I got it. I liked it. I didn't love it. This time, I fully enjoyed it. Watching it on a big, bigger screen, it just, you see the magnitude with which Tong was shooting. And I think, looking back, I must have watched it on VHS, and it was probably pan and scan and not like the letterbox format. Yeah, and as a note, for example, I obviously have my big, you know, relatively new flat screen, beautiful TV. I've got my amazing Blu-ray player. This is an old DVD copy I have. And I first put it in right out the gate. I'm like, oh, this looks great. Why am I, you know, why do I spend money in all these Blu-rays? Then the first sequence, like in the dark, like you're like, okay, mm-hmm. this is why. Mm-hmm. It's just, uh, and even still, the the farther you get into it, you're like, oh, okay, it, it still looks good. It's a DVD, but it there's a huge difference between our, you know, 2K or 4K scan remastered Blu-rays like than there is our original DVDs, definitely. So be prepared for that, obviously. You know, technology, the older technology can't keep up with the newer technology. Just that's the way it goes. But I highly recommend you guys check out this movie. It's definitely enjoyable for fans and non-fans. Anybody that's a Coolio fan should definitely check it out. Uh, And yeah, sad to see that uh, he passed away so young. Still no details about what happened, but... uh, yeah, definitely gives you newfound appreciation for, you know, I mean, back in the day, there was, there's two main songs of his I knew, obviously, Gangster's Paradise, and then he had that one, two, three, four, get your woman on the floor, everything get up, get down, like I knew that one, right? But uh, yeah, so maybe I'll explore, and the funny part is I downloaded that one song that's in this movie and highly enjoyed it, and then Apple Music started playing just more of his music, on, mm-hmm. and I was like, oh, this is cool too, like, you know. Yeah, he has a substantial uh, music library. That's oh, yeah, for sure, for sure. For sure. Uh, but yeah, you know, uh, so any final closing thoughts? Nope. I mean, you did. Yeah. So for me, that's that's that. Uh, I would definitely suggest watching it. So uh, now uh, we did our movie news. Uh, we had our other two segments throughout. So now we are going to do our language corner. Okay, everybody. So last week, we got a Japanese lesson from Gavin. Now, obviously, Gavin is what you would call fluent in Japanese. He grew up there. I uh, lived in China for five and a half years. So I'm what you might call at this point, especially because I hardly ever get to use it, like elementary proficient at Mandarin or conversationally fluent, as people like to say. Because, you know, people are like, oh, man, you speak Chinese. I'm like, well, I, I speak it at a decent level because it always irks me when people are like, oh yeah, man, I speak Spanish. And like all they can do is order a taco, right? Or, oh, you know, but I'm like, nah, don't, don't, it's, it takes a lot to speak a second language. And I am, you know, uh, one day I strive to be at like your level of Japanese equivalency in Mandarin. And really I just need to get back on my lessons. Uh, but well, yeah. uh, th- thank you so much for the compliment. One day I strive to be as fluent as you in the way of the fist. Yeah. And the foot. 
But uh, so I figured since we have uh, a rapper on this episode uh, in Coolio that I would teach us uh, the expression how to sing a song. Like I I don't necessarily know how to say to rap a song, but uh, to sing a song, uh, which is uh, an easy one, it's Chang-ke. Chang-ke. Yep. So fourth tone, Chang. Chang. Chang, C-H-A-N-G, Chang. Chang. Ke. Ke. Very good. So, Chang. Ke. Chang. Ke. Good. Yeah. So, I mean, that's a pretty basic one you learn early on. Uh, so, I mean, you can ask someone, oh, 你喜欢 Chang-ke ma? Like, do you like to sing songs? Or, uh, 你唱歌 唱得非常好. Like, you sing songs very good. Uh, ma? Sihuan, or you literally just said you sing songs? <laughs> yes. Yeah, see, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I just said see. Oh my God, because I've been practicing Spanish. Uh, wow. Uh, <laughs> that's the problem. That's why I try to tell I, people, I'm I, like, I, I, I can't handle, down. I can't handle doing both. But uh, for, for reference, obviously, I've moved to Fresno and it's a predominantly Hispanic community here, actually. And so I've been trying to brush up on my Spanish. Uh, but then as I'm also studying my Chinese still on my own, it, it, your brain gets. Uh, uh, oh, they, yeah, but I mean, up. I would say, I would say, you could say, doi, doi. yeah, or sure, yeah, I, I would like to. 我喜欢唱歌. 我喜欢唱歌. Yep, there you go, there you go. So, that, Yes, it is actually. Yeah, uh, it, that comes first. Just like you would say, like your sensei's name first. Like when I did Shinji Kempo, our head sensei was Hirayama Sensei, right? But I was gonna do uh, rap music, which I can still. It's just a lot longer. So Rao She Yinyue. So Yinyue is music, but like Rao She, Rao She, Rao She Yinyue. Rao Rising Tone She, Rising Tone Yinyue. So Yinyue, Yin first tone, Yue fourth tone. Sure. Yeah. So, but beyond that, like I, you know, cause on my lesson years ago, I learned music. Like I remember I, I learned how to say all those different ones, but I honestly don't know how to say I like to rap. So, <laughs> but uh, anywho, yeah. So our official word for the language corner day is chanka, which just means like to sing a song. So like, I like to sing songs. Okay. Uh, so, that's it for today. Uh, any final words? Uh, this, this was fun. It, it was, was fun. Pick. It was fun. Great We're pick. right at our hour timeline. So we'll hopefully be back next week. Uh, and yeah, once again, rest in peace, Mr. Coolio. Uh, thanks for all of your uh, awesome stuff you did over the years. Uh, and yeah, definitely go check out China Strike Force if you haven't seen it yet. All right, my friend. I will see you next week. Take care. Peace, baby.